Hey everybody, thanks so much for tuning in. I just want to pop in here for a second before we get started with the show and just say the Patreon is live. So if you want to go over there and hang out with us on the Patreon, building that community, that's patreon.com backslash uh, conscious environment creation. So patreon.com backslash conscious environment creation. And over there we have promo codes for the bonfire site so you can get a little bit off on your merch, whatever you want to grab over there. But we have behind-the-scenes footage. You guys can vote on different topics. If you want to be the producer level, you can actually just have whatever you want me to make a podcast about within reason, and I will make it. So let's let's hang out together. I can't wait to keep building this community with you. All right, on with the show. Welcome back to the Conscious Environment Podcast. Thank you so much for tuning back in. I hope you guys are enjoying Say What History Month uh, that we're doing for February. We're going to, I'm probably going to continue this on um, maybe uh, a little bit maybe once a month or something like that i I really enjoy these stories they're a lot of fun and there's a a bajillion of them that we could tell but um if you've been listening along we've done geniuses we've done resistance we've done things around the early parts of enslavement in the united states and now let's get to the civil rights movement let's get to jim crow black codes civil rights movement hope you guys enjoy these stories The first story I want to tell is about Victor H. Green and his Green Book. Victor H. Green was born in 1892. In 1918, Green married Alma Duke and lived in Harlem as it developed as a center for black arts and culture in the period that we would call the Harlem Renaissance. At this time, he undertook managing his brother-in-law's bookings as a musician. Through this experience, Green began hearing terrible tales of what befell black Americans who traveled. As black Americans began to own cars and take part of the developing American car culture, this was also during the time of Jim Crow laws and racial segregation in the United States. This was a prevalent problem in the South, however, motels and restaurants in northern states also excluded black Americans as well. In 1936, Green thought of doing something about this. He thought of listing as comprehensive as possible all of the first-class hotels throughout the United States that catered to Negroes. He collected information on hotels, restaurants, gas stations that served black Americans for his first edition of the Negro Motorist Green Book. He printed 15,000 copies each year. In 1947, he established a vacation reservation service, a travel agency to book reservations at black-owned establishments. By 1949, the guide included international destinations in Bermuda, Mexico, and Canada. It listed places for food and lodging and gas stations. In 1952, Green changed the name to the Negro Traveler's Green Book. Although Green died in 1960, publication continued with his widow Alma, serving as the editor until 1966. Now, Green never lived to see the passage of the Civil Rights Act of 1964, but he often dreamed of a future where his book wasn't going to be needed. In the introduction of the first edition of his book in 1936, he wrote, There will be a day sometime in the near future when this guide will not have to be published. This is when we as a race will have equal rights and privileges in the United States. Let's talk about the Wrightsville Fire of 1959. 
March 5, 1959, 21 black boys burned to death inside a dormitory at an Arkansas reform school in Brightsville. The doors were locked from the outside and the fire mysteriously started around 4 a.m. 48 children ages 13 to 17 managed to escape to safety by knocking out two of the windows. The boys were sent to the Negro Boys Industrial School for petty theft, pranks, and homelessness. It was essentially a prison. For example, one boy had been caught soaping windows during Halloween. That was literally just rubbing a bar of soap on the windows. Another boy was actually caught riding a white boy's bicycle even though the white boy's mother told him to do so. And she also told the police that it was alright. He was still arrested. 14 of the bodies were burned so badly that at the time they could not be individually identified. They were buried in unmarked graves at the Haven of Rest in Little Rock, Arkansas. In 2018, they placed a memorial with the rediscovered names of the 21 burned boys. Let's talk about A. Philip Randolph. A. Philip Randolph was an American labor unionist and civil rights activist. He would organize the Brotherhood of Sleeping Car Porters, BSCP, in 1925. He served as the organization's first president and under Randolph's leadership, the BSCP became the first black union to be granted a charter by the American Federation of Labor, the AFL. In 1934, Congress amended the Railway Labor Act to specifically cover workers in sleeping cars, making it illegal to fire members of the BSCP. But you might know him from something a little bit bigger. In 1963, Randolph was the head of the March on Washington. He directed the movement to focus on employment discrimination in the defense industry and to ban segregation in the armed forces. That's why the full name of the march is March on Washington for Jobs and Freedom. President Lyndon B. Johnson in 1965 awarded Randolph the Presidential Medal of Freedom for his career of activism. Randolph retired as the president of the BCSP in 1968. He lived quietly in New York City until 1979, and he died at the age of nine. Let's talk about the Greensboro sit-ins. The Greensboro sit-ins were nonviolent protests in Greensboro, North Carolina. They lasted from February 1st, 1960 to July 25th, 1960. These sit-ins were the first major sit-ins of the civil rights movement. These protests led to Warburg's department store chain, ending its policy of racial segregation in stores in the southern United States. It was four young black men who staged the first sit-ins in Greensboro. Ewell Blair Jr., David Richman, Franklin McCain, and Joseph McNeil. These events were planned meticulously. Enlisting the help of local white, enlisting the help of a local white businessman Ralph Johns, they put their plan into action. The first stop would be at Ralph Johns' store so that he could contact news reporters. From there, they would go down to Warwood's Five and Dime store in downtown Greensboro and sit at the lunch counter where they would be asked to be served. When they were inevitably denied service, they would refuse to leave. They would repeat this process daily as long as it took for desegregation at that lunch counter. On February 1st, 1960, the four sat down at the lunch counter. The entire staff, including black workers, refused them service. The store manager, Clarence Harris, asked them to leave, but the foreman stayed until the store closed that night. The next day, more than 20 black students joined the sit-ins, including co-eds from Bennett College, also in Greensboro. Over the next few days, this would expand to hundreds of protesters at different stores. 
On July 25, 1960, the manager Clarence Harris asked four Black Warworlds employees, Geneva Tisdale, Susie Morrison, Athena Jones, and Charles Bass, to change out of their uniforms and industry clothes. They were served at the counter, making them the first Black Americans to be served there. The Greensboro sit-ins also did something very important for the civil rights movement. Greensboro sit-ins were the catalyst for the formation of the Student Nonviolent Coordinating Committee, or SNCC, which would become one of the most important organizations of the civil rights movement in the 1960s. Let's talk about Marsha P. Johnson in the beginnings of Pride. It all started when plain-clothes police officers invaded the Stonewall Inn on June 27, 1969. Just after 3 a.m., things turned violent after a few patrons were arrested on questionable charges. They were handcuffed and very publicly forced in the police cars on the streets in New York City. And this was the last straw. Marsha P. Johnson was at the Stonewall Inn on the first night of the riots. Many have ID'd her as the main instigator. Following the events at Stonewall, Johnson and her friend Sylvia Rivera co-founded the Street Transvestite Action Revolutionaries, or STAR, and focused on helping homeless transgender youth in New York City. In June of 1970, the very first gay pride march was held in Manhattan on the anniversary of the Stonewall Rebellion. On July 6, 1992, Marsha's body was found floating in the Hudson River. Police ruled her death a suicide, despite friends' accounts that she was not suicidal. According to the Trans Murdering Monitoring Report from 2021, 375 trans and gender diverse people were murdered, 7% more than in the TMM update of 2020. The murder of trans people in the United States have doubled in the last year, and people of color make up 89% of trans people murdered. If you consider yourself an ally, an accomplice, or part of the black community at all, remember that every kind of black life matters. Let's talk about Ruby Bridges and her famous walk that integrated schools. On November 14, 1960, Ruby Bridges was only six years old. She became one of the first black children to integrate the New Orleans public school system. She didn't make it to class that day. Four federal marshals walked Bridges and her mother to the principal's office where she sat for the entire day. Outside of the school, angry mobs protested with signs, slurs, and they threw rocks. High school boys sang a new chorus to the Battle Hymn of the Republic, Glory, Glory, Segregation, The South Will Rise Again. The next day, adults hurled death threats as she entered the building, but she made it to class. An empty classroom. The school would be integrated, but Bridges would be taught in a class of one. Over 500 kids walked out on that second day. She couldn't go to the cafeteria for lunch or outside for PE. However, the only time she said that she felt fear was when the mob would bring a tiny baby's coffin with a black baby doll in it. Despite this, Ruby never missed a day of school that year. She's now 68 and an activist. She advocates for educating the youth on the racial divide and ending de facto segregation. In 1999, Ruby established the Ruby Bridges Foundation to promote tolerance and create change through education. In 2000, she was made an honorary deputy marshal. On January 8, 2001, Bridges was awarded the Presidential Citizens Medal by President Bill Clinton. And I'll leave you with a quote. Racism is a grown-up disease, and we must stop using our children to spread it. Ruby Bridges. Lastly, let's talk about the reason for this season. Carter G. Woodson and Black History Month. 
Black History Month grew out of Negro History Week, the brainchild of noted historian Carter G. Woodson. In September of 1915, Carter Woodson and Jesse Moreland founded the ASNLH, an organization dedicated to researching and promoting achievements by black Americans and other peoples of African descent. Negro History Week was created by the group in 1926. It was decided to be the second week of February because it coincided with the birthdays of Abraham Lincoln and Frederick Douglass. You can side-eye the Abraham Lincoln part. By the late 1960s, thanks in part to the Civil Rights Movement, Negro History Week had evolved into the Black History Month. President Gerald Ford officially recognized Black History Month in 1976. Since 1976, every U.S. president has officially designated the month of February as Black History Month. Today, Black History Month is a time to honor the contributions and legacies of Black Americans across U.S. history and society. From activists and civil rights leaders to leaders of industry, politics, science, culture, and more. Black History Month shares our history because Black history is American history. Thank you guys so much for tuning in to the Conscious Environment Podcast with our special Say What History. Uh, I'm glad that you guys really enjoyed these. Um, I am going to continue doing these probably once a month. Uh, just filling in some stories, maybe redoing some older ones, or just keep going on as much as I can. I, I have a ton of these. I still didn't even crack open my second folder of these, but um, I hope you guys really, really enjoy them. I've had so much fun recording these. If you want to support the show, you can do so monetarily. Down below, there are Cash App and Vimo links. If you want to get a little something, a little bang for your buck, there's also a Bonfire link where you can go grab a uh, shirt. Uh, we have some merch over there, the I Am Black History shirt. We also have the Black Philosopher's shirt. Uh, it's kind of like that that AIM-style shirt. Uh, they're, they're all pretty cool, so go over there and check them out. Then even by the time this comes out, there might be some more designs. Uh, I'm, I'm not sure. I'm working on stuff every week but i hope you guys really enjoy that i'm going to continue to try to do these if you can't support the show monetarily i completely understand um please do just leave a five-star review tell a friend share it with somebody tell your mama she'll probably love this show and one last thing remember i love you and go drink water stay hydrated right now go drink water right now <laughs> okay i'll see you guys next week